0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. At the top of the Dead Sea there, and uh, he's, he's working his way down on the east side of Jordan and they're walking into Jericho. So the next slide. Uh, actually, this is the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Okay. It's, uh, it's through some of the most rugged country in the whole, rugged uh, topography in the whole country. It's really, really. Part of this area is called the devastation. It's where Jesus went when he was, This Holy Spirit took him to be tested by the, the, the devil. and and it's just really difficult country to to traverse and it's about 14 miles from jericho to jerusalem and it's it's uh, jericho's 800 800 feet below sea level jerusalem is 2500 feet above sea level so there's like a 3300 foot rise over 14 miles just to walk to it's very 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 difficult walk and uh um you have to be in good shape it takes about six to seven hours and, and i'm going to talk a little bit about that but so what's the next picture so here's a here's kind of a a, a, a landscape you get it from a, it's, it's not to scale of course but we see jericho on the bottom right it's uh, the, the jordan river kind of flows out of the picture there and uh and then over and up into into jerusalem that's 14 miles and then of course we see nazareth and where, where you know, jesus is of nazareth and then capernaum which is on the sea of galilee so there's kind of a picture of the you can actually see that this is the walking tour where they came they came around the the mountains and down on the east side where it's, it's more lowland on the east side of the jordan river okay so here we are coming into uh this, this last week, it's getting to the last week of Jesus' life. Um, so let me read verses 46 through 52 for a lesson today, okay? And they, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, so if you were here last week, you remember that uh, in verse 36, which don't worry, you know, uh, Jesus uh, asked James and John, what would you have me do for you? It's the same question he asked them. Uh, uh, James and John, he's now asking blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? this man wants nothing so exalted and elevated as to sit on the right hand or left hand of Jesus in glory. he just wants to see. Jesus did not meet the request of James and John. He said that was to be determined by my father and for those whom the Father had prepared it that for glory that those who are those who would receive it but Jesus, um did respond positively to the desire of blind Bartimaeus it's a little bit different today so let's look at that so this is the this is the final healing the final miracle really of Jesus's ministry if you you remember from scripture reading i'm sure you remember that this began way up to the north in the city of Cana near Nazareth okay where he turned water into wine and that's recorded for us in John chapter 2, and it ends here a few years later with giving sight to the blind in this historically significant town in the lowlands atop the Dead Sea in Judea. Okay, um, From north to south, from the high country to the low country, and everywhere in between Jesus did, did miracles. He filled Israel with miracles in virtually every town and village, and he did signs and wonders and mighty deeds displaying his deity, his compassion and his power, and all the while preaching salvation and entrance into his kingdom. He's demonstrated power over disease, over demons, over death, over nature. He's shown he has absolute authority over everything, including that which was most sacred to the Jews the Sabbath and even the law to an open mind he must be designated as he claimed to be the son of God the Messiah there is however one more miracle to come after this one it's separate from all those he did on behalf of others it's that is his own resurrection He's going to do one more miracle after this one. But it's for himself. To glorify himself. But for now, it's time for the servant of Jehovah to become the suffering servant. It's time for the anointed one to become the rejected one. It's time for the sovereign Lord to become the sacrificial lamb. and It's time to go to Jerusalem for the last time. As he said back in verses 34, 32 through 34, it's time to face the hatred and the animosity of the leaders of Israel. The rejection by the nation and be crucified by the godless Romans at the will of the Jewish religious leaders. Rejection is set, his death is inevitable, it's inescapable. The shallow crowd that hails him when he comes into the city on Sunday is so fickle that a few days later they're screaming for his execution. Israel has now entered into the greatest period of apostasy in its history. It is so apostate, so ungodly, as to be pleased to execute its own Lord and Messiah. This, however, is according to God's predetermined plan but doesn't lessen the guilt of anyone involved in the rejection of Christ. Y'all, let's pray. Let's stop and pray for a second. Lord, thank you for your word today. Your word, uh, again, Lord, you keep everything spinning, everything is maintained according to your word, according to your hand, Lord, and and you are sovereign over the affairs of men, over the affairs of the whole earth, earth, Lord. It's just amazing to see this, lord we see so much in the world today um people are so angry so bitter taking it out on each other lord help us to see our sovereign lord here help us to see jesus in all of his compassion and mercy for others lord for us for his church father we would we would be your people we'd be disciples of of the living god those who follow hard after jesus and and uh Lord, that your, your, your glory would be seen in the land. These things are strange to us, Lord, and with us, we, we know it's impossible. But with you, all things are possible, Lord. So speak to our hearts now, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from Jericho on, in the final week, there are no stories of conversion. Once Jesus leaves Jericho, there's no more stories of conversion. No sa- salvation in Jerusalem in these last days. There are, however, at the very end here, Oh, I'm sorry, not here, but at, at, the, at the cross during, during the crucifixion, in that final days of his life, there are two unique conversions that occur when Christ is crucified. The thief and the centurion. But in the last week before his death, no conversions are recorded. It's a sad, tragic drama of suffering. All through the week, all the way to the cross. His days before the cross are filled with sorrow and there's never really a joyful note. Once his, his entry is finished, it's all sadness and grief. Only a few days left and he'll be executed. Now he's on the way to Jerusalem, uh, uh, through Jericho, and and the last stop is Jericho. And in Jericho, two wonderful salvation stories take place. These two stories stand in stark contrast to national rejection, in bleak contrast to the unbelief and hatred of the leaders of Israel and the people of Israel. Two prodigals, you might say, come home, Two lost souls are found. Two darkened minds are enlightened. Two sinners are saved. Two outcasts are reconciled. One is the story of the blind, and the other is the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. For he too encountered Jesus in Jericho, and this is recorded in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Okay. It is Zacchaeus Zacchaeus, and Bartimaeus who are the last trophies of sovereign grace, saving grace until the cross. And then there's a thief and a centurion. It's a reminder of what our Lord said about the narrow gate and few be, few there be that find it. It is also remarkably an indication of the fact that there won't be many noble, not many mighty, but it's the poor and the outcasts and the nobodies and the nothings all four of them fit in this category a blind beggar, a tax collector, a thief and a despised Roman. It's as if they make an exclamation point on the divine rejection of the Jews. The hypocritical hoopla that will occur when he comes into the city is just that, it's superficial and hypocritical. We really need to cherish these stories of the conversion before the cross and then the two at the cross so let's look at our story today let's break it into two parts along the lines of the two main characters okay first we meet the blind man and then we meet the savior in verse 46 ah then they came to jericho So Jesus had been ministering in Perea, uh, east of the Jordan and down the south. He would keep moving through Perea and eventually cross the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea. And the first town he would come to, of any note, would be Jericho. And from Jericho, it's a direct descent right up the hill. So they came to Jericho and a great crowd is with him, as indicated in the text. it's a combination of people who are following Jesus because they know about him. And there's just a massive humanity following down to the south so they too can ascend to Jerusalem because they want to be there for the Passover. It's Passover season. The crowds are, are forming and they're moving towards Jerusalem. Um, Jesus has concluded a, a brief preaching, teaching, healing ministry in Perea, and he now crosses over the Jordan, probably on a raft or or a a ferry of some kind, because the river had swollen, would be swollen at this time of year. It's it's springtime in in Passover, and the snow would have melted high in the mountains of Lebanon and filled up the Lake of Galilee, and it would have overflowed down the Jordan River, down to where they crossed and beyond. So they came to the city of Jericho, known as the city of Palms. It's about a six to seven hour walk up to Jerusalem and that's for a healthy person. It's well known in New Testament times. It's a formidable place. A city fed by springs. It had a lot of water even though it's in the desert. Plenty of water could be piped in if there wasn't enough there in the springs. And and they could even pipe in water to irrigate the place. And that's what they did. They turned it into a garden, okay? It had a large population because of its availability of water. And historians tell us it was filled with palm trees and fruit trees of every kind. It also had medicinal plants. It could be found there. The climate was warm, obviously. And at this time of year, figs would have been ripening in Jericho, but in Jerusalem they wouldn't have been ripening. Not yet. Almonds flourished there. Rose plants were there. It's it's just a garden. It's really a garden. The city was given by Mark Anthony to Cleopatra, according to Josephus. He gave it to her as a gift. It's the place where Herod built a fort and a palace in which he finally died. There's a fort near there that that Herod built. Jericho was a magnificent place. It is a magnificent place. It's beautiful. So we also remember Jericho from the Old Testament, right? It's pretty famous for what uh, Joshua tells us about the destruction of the city. When the walls came falling down after the Israelites marched around it for seven days and had recovered from these darker days and was a flourishing place in the New Testament. It was flourishing. So in verse 46, they came to Jericho. And uh, we need to take a look look at this a little closer because it says in Mark, it says he was leaving Jericho. Okay. And Luke said he was approaching Jericho. Okay, That's that's interesting. Matthew says he was going out of Jericho. So the best way to understand this is that these references could be taken to me he was in the general vicinity of Jericho, coming in and out of the city as he's walking, uh, to, as he's making his way to Jerusalem, because he's not intending to stay there. Okay? He's not intending to stay long at all. He did stay long enough to spend an evening at Zacchaeus' house, an evening, and a day, now, whether at this point coming in before the incident was Zacchaeus, or going out uh, before the incident of Zacchaeus, we don't want to be too dogmatic about that. But safe to say, in any case, it is the vicinity of Jericho where these things happen, where this story happens, and that place would have been a buzz. It was filled with. with Lots of people, lots of sights, sounds, and smells, and even had memories for Jesus, because very near Jericho is an area called the Devastation. Okay, we talked about that a little bit. It mentioned that he, he was tempted by the devil there. Okay, so Jesus is coming into town with his entourage, and all the pilgrims are pouring through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem it would have been a parade that never ended. And the townspeople must have lined the streets the way Zacchaeus did when he climbed up in a tree to see Jesus on his way through town. And if he knew Jesus was coming, surely everyone else knew he was coming too. So the crowd swells with curiosity seekers and the streets are lined with people. It's a Passover excitement because the one who could be the Messiah has come to our town by the way it, it when they do ascend to Jerusalem there's a little town at the top near, near, near Jerusalem called Bethany and not long before this he had raised Lazarus from the dead at, at Bethany you think the word might have gotten down to Jericho it surely did it, it would be It was because he raised Lazarus from the dead, though, that the Jewish leaders decided they had to kill him. So there's all kind of intrigue, all kind of things going on here. See, he's a focus of immense attention, to put it mildly. Masses of humanity lining the streets wanting to see him. And and, and among everyone is that short, stubby, little, despised tax, tax collector. And Jesus brings him, by grace, into the kingdom. But here our story focuses on the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, sitting by the road. It's a good spot for a beggar, wouldn't you say? Because so many people are coming by. You guys see the guys on the roads, they pick the intersections, a lot of people go through those intersections same, that hasn't changed. Successful beggars go where the people are. And there were many beggars in Israel. This is, this is one among many and blindness was his problem. That's what made him a beggar. We don't know how or when, whether by accident or in a fight or infectious disease, Or maybe like the blind man in John 9, he was born blind. We don't know what made him blind. But we do know this, that blind people were reduced to begging. Because if you were blind in the theology of Israel at that time, you were under divine judgment. You were blind because God was punishing you. So here's this man... Who would be alienated and ostracized, the man under whom, who was under a divine curse in their assessment, begging. And by the way, as a footnote, uh, when Jesus called the Pharisees blind leaders of the blind, that was a severe, a severe slur on them. Because the blind were deemed to be cursed. And Matthew tells us that there was another blind man there, also, a second blind man. Not surprising since they would have found each other somehow and they would have wanted to help each other. They became friends. They had something in common. But Mark only focuses in on on Bartimaeus for us here. Bartimaeus means the son of Timaeus. Why does he mention this one? The one who has a name. Why does he give this? why Why does Mark do this? Well. A good answer might be that, that uh, this is, in fact, uh, the, the man, Bartimaeus, who became a well-known believer in the early church. And by the time Mark wrote his gospel, and, and this was a way for Mark to tell the conversion story of a familiar believer, I think that's what a lot of the gospels are. It's, it's the testimonies. Luke, in particular, collects the testimonies of, of folks and writes the gospel of Luke. He's hearing it. He's collecting information from other people. He's talking with other people. He's not just sitting in a room and letting the Holy Spirit give him all this information. He's he's talking to people. Okay. So Bartimaeus, he he's at the bottom socially, right? He's obviously below the peasants, below the unclean, and degraded sinners are the cursed. There's a there's a, a hierarchy here going on. And he's just a hair above a tax collector. Again, this is such a rebuke, such a rebuke to religion, to elite religiosity, that the Lord saves those who are considered scum. Luke 18 tells us that Bartimaeus hears the crowd going by and he says, What's happening? and somebody responds it says Jesus of Nazareth is passing by they refer to a man from Nazareth that's who they saw a the man from Nazareth nothing abnormal about that right there must have been many men from Nazareth passing through Jericho on the way to the to Jerusalem however Bartimaeus has a far different perception of who's walking by. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Mark uses the word carazo. Very strong word. It means to shout. It's used in Mark 5 to speak uh, of of uh, shouting of epileptics those are possessed by demons in revelation 12 it's used to speak of birth pain and screaming it's a strong word here he cries out he's desperate this is desperation here it's anguish he's screaming in anguish and desperation he doesn't say jesus of nazareth he says jesus son of david david He tries to be heard over the noise of the crowd and the din of the mob all the talk of the people all the disturbances of motion and commotion he shouts Jesus and of course Jesus means Jehovah saves given that name from birth son of David this is the messianic title and he knew exactly what he was saying and he knew exactly who it was the Messiah was to be Heir of David's throne, according to 2 Samuel 7. The Messiah would receive the kingdom that had been promised to a son of David. David's greater son would be the king who would bring the fulfillment of all the promises both to David and to Abraham. This was the most common Jewish title for the Messiah, son of David. This is why in Matthew 1, we're given the genealogy of joseph right shows he comes from the the family of david that's why we're given the genealogy of mary in luke to show she comes from the line of david both his earthly father and his true mother were in the line of david he's truly the son of david more than that he's the son of david he will be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Mary's told by the angel and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's Luke one. So this man is acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. Son of David is synonymous with Messiah and with the Christ. Scripture makes this clear, and if you check Matthew 21, you look through that, you'll see this is the case, okay? And what does this man want? His request in verse 47, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. So here's a man who recognizes Jesus as the true Messiah, and he knows what he needs, and it's mercy. It is mercy. And while this is a typical cry of afflicted people, certainly it is a true and pure cry of this man from the heart. Pity me, Lord, pity me. He's not deserving of anything and he knows it. He would have understood the theology of his people as well and thought himself cursed by God because he was blind. He knows he needs mercy and he knows he is a sinner. His blindness aids him in facing that fact. By the way, to, to show you how he would have been treated in the Jewish culture at that time, his cry lists no sympathy from the crowd. None whatsoever. Verse 48 And many rebuked him telling him to be quiet that was the attitude of the people sternly telling him forcefully telling him shut up why? why would they say that? he's a nuisance right? beggars are nuisances they disdain beggars Because their theology said they were sinners. He was an outcast. But with the Messiah there, this had no effect on him. He was persistent. What's indicated here is that the Spirit of God is drawing him. He doesn't give up. He kept crying all the more. Verse 48, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he, he is, this is a scream of desperation. So there's really only one way to understand this man. He believes everything he's heard about Jesus, enough to believe he's the Messiah. He understands his own wretchedness. Day after day, he feels the disdain and the despising of the people who are around him, who pass by him. He couldn't see Jesus, this dusty stranger, who's not clothed in royal robes. He did not carry a scepter and was not ascending a throne, but he knew who he was. And he refuses to be beaten back into silence. He needs mercy, and he will fight for that mercy. And he knows that Jesus is the merciful Messiah. It appears that his faith has risen to the highest maximum level possible. Okay, the highest possible level that's open to him. His heart had seen the light before his eyes ever saw the light. His heart had seen Jesus before his eyes ever saw Jesus. He saw himself as a sinner, and he knew the mercy of God would come to him through the Messiah. And it's Jesus. Now we don't know how he got all that information, but what we see is a believing heart. The story turns in verse forty-nine, and the focuses uh, becomes uh, on the on the Lord Himself, on Jesus. In verse forty-nine, it says Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. We need to highlight this. If if you've seen anything through all the years of studying the Gospels, you have to see the compassion of of our God towards people demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Compassionate at every turn. He stopped and he said, call him here. He commanded his disciples to bring him to him. don't silence him, call him here and bring him here to me Luke eighteen forty puts it this way he commanded that he be brought to him and he commanded it And so they called the blind man and said to him in verse 49, take heart and get up, he's calling for you but they, they, they changed their tune there from shut up Okay, we're going to be helpful now. Okay. All of a sudden, there's a change. Jesus' response to the man changes their attitude. For the moment. Maybe, maybe they're hoping to see another miracle. He responds in verse 50. The the beggar does, blind Bartimaeus. He says, he, he throws off his cloak. So listen to the verbs here. He throws off, he sprang up, and he came. Threw off, sprang up, and coming to the Lord. And when he comes to Jesus in verse 51, Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? We've heard this before, right? We we talked about a little bit about this in James and John. The same Jesus asked them the same question when they wanted to have the seats on the left and the right. He said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, We want the seats, the best seats in the house. We want them now. The seats of glory, that's what they wanted. Put us in a position where everybody serves us, where we will get our, our due honor. We, we deserve it. But we see in Bartimaeus a completely different attitude. What do you want me to do for you? And this is important, y'all. This is the, this is the right at the heart of it. The high king of heaven, the God of very God incarnate, becomes the true servant and the true slave of a sinner and a debased, debased lowly outcast. And he does what the beggar asks. You know, this is the kind of thing Jesus taught his disciples. He was teaching them all through this walk, and he teaches them all through the scripture. Whoever be first among you would be least of all, and servant of all. And here, here is the King of heaven serving blind Bartimaeus. And he's going to give him what he asked for. You will be first in the kingdom? Slave of all. And here Jesus is taking that position. This man only wants mercy. Unlike James and John who thought they needed elevation. This man knows he deserves nothing. He's not laying claim on anything. Mercy means to withhold from people what they don't deserve. Sometimes it's giving people what they don't deserve. So the blind man says in in verse 51, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. In Luke 18, he also said, Lord and Master. So, okay, when when looking at this story through both scriptures, through the, the entire Entirety of the scriptures we see this theology starting to, to fill out here he recognizes him as his master and his lord and yet Jesus is taking the role of a servant a slave what can I do for you in compassion and sympathy and loneliness and tenderness and kindness and affection and grace and mercy the king does what the beggar asks him to do Rabbi, I want my sight. According to Matthew's account, Jesus then reached over and touched his eyes. And Luke 18, 42 says, Jesus says, receive your sight. He so often healed with a touch, didn't he? He would touch, reach out and touch people. So what happens in verse 52? Go your way, your faith has made you you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This really is a model of a conversion pre-cross, before the cross. Um, You think there was any doubt in in, uh, Bartimaeus' mind that that Jesus was was the Lord, was his Lord, was the God who, who created everything, who knew all things, could do all things? You think there was any any doubt in his mind no that he was the messiah no no doubt that he was a sinner no doubt about that that he needed mercy no doubt whatsoever this man was the dispenser of mercy and he was he's needed by desperate men This is much more than a healing, though, much more than a healing. When Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, he uses the verb sozo, sozo, from which we get the the word saved. It means to save. Your faith has saved you. There is a word that strictly refers to healing. me," I think. I old man, trouble with that one. But that's not the word that's used here. It's the word "sozo." Your faith has saved you, and we know that encompasses healing, but also it encompasses, it includes salvation. It includes salvation. It's it's Jesus saving this man, and the evidence of the healing is obvious, isn't it? He saw 2020 instantaneously the evidence of salvation was his following him he had received mercy and he gives the sign of true conversion he followed Matthew focuses on the two there's two of them by the way says they followed his friend, his other blind friend also followed you know it must have been stunning stunning experience to receive your sight, to be received into God's kingdom, and then to walk into Jesus on, on Palm Sunday and see him be heralded as the king. It must have just been stunning for them. And he's there through the whole week. He's there after the resurrection. Very likely he's there in the church. And that's why he's named here. Most likely. And that's why Mark tells this story. He could have been one of the uh, the 120 in the upper room at Pentecost. He probably was. So we see someone a lifetime as an outcast. And now he's on the inside. He's accepted. This needs to be added here. Luke 18, uh, 43 says, He was following him in the road glorifying God so he's become a worshiper not just a submissive obedient but a worshiper please grasp the picture of this what's going on man who can't go anywhere who's stuck as a beggar because he can't see who's hopeless unless Christ comes to him is this not the picture of every sinner Hopeless, sitting by the road, if perchance the healer, the Savior, might come by. Jesus went to the bottom of Israel, to the lowlands of Jericho, to claim a tax collector and a beggar and his friend for the kingdom. It's, this is marvelous, wonderful event. The people saw it, and according to Luke 18, again, it says, when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. What else could they do? What else could explain it? This was probably part of, the, of what escalated the event when he finally arrived at Jerusalem and they received him and his king. They, the, the news traveled fast. It got there before him. Okay. It was undeniable. So there's many lessons here. See the Lord's profound compassion. We see that the uh, he never ignores the cry of a true heart of repentance of a desperate sinner who knows they're unworthy and will always, he'll always give a hearing to these people, always give a hearing to them. We we learn again what we've seen all through this ministry, that he has the power to heal disease, but far more importantly, he has the power to save sinners, to turn them into obedient followers who live their lives in true worship. And that's why all of us are here this morning. We've been approached by Jesus. Somewhere along the road in our lives, in our blindness, in our desperation, he passed by and our hearts were awakened. And we cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he heard our cry, didn't he? He heard our cry. And all this is possible because he went all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to the cross and out the other side of the open tomb. Y'all pray with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for your word becoming flesh and, and walking this tour, Lord, and, and showing uh, his disciples, having it recorded for us in your word, and, and showing the disciples these truths so we can see these truths, Lord. These truths will have an effect on our lives. And more than just an effect, Lord, it will become our lives. Thank you for the cross, Lord, where you took on the sin of your people. Bartimaeus, his sin was imputed there to you. Our sin was imputed there to you, Lord. All who believe, Lord. Just the the immensity of, of it, Lord. Just knowing the reality of it, but knowing your compassion, Lord, and how much you care for us. Thank you for these things, Lord. Thank you for every heart here and and the work that you're doing here, Lord. Father, bring us together in Christ. Bring your church together in Christ across the city, even. That Jesus' name would be lifted high above every name and exalted in this place, Father. With us, it's impossible. With you, all things are impossible, Lord. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions? Anybody got a quick question. We're going to do one more week and then uh, Josh has got some announcements about the future connect classes, Sunday morning classes. Um, again, if you all have any feedback, please send me an email, don't talk to me today. <laughs> but I appreciate it if you do, whatever, however you get it to me, I appreciate the feedback. And. Uh, I love you guys, and and uh, I just such a. I appreciate the way you disciple me too. Is that this just because I'm a, a big dog? Supposedly. I need I need all that of help. Thank you, thank you. No, I do. I needed some, some some laughter. It is laughable, isn't it? So, I need it too. Yes. Uh, that, and it's the final lesson. The first first and final lessons are on faith. Absolutely, absolutely faith has made you well okay thanks everybody